right, welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. Uh, we are celebrating a rainy Labor Day here in upstate New York uh, to talk about the Bills preseason, the upcoming season opening matchup on the first Thursday night football game of the year against the Los Angeles Rams, and generally what we think about the Buffalo Bills 53-man roster that they set after the preseason. How are you feeling, Dan? I feel good, JJ. I am uh, very, very uh, heartened by some things that I saw in the preseason, but most importantly, I'm just happy football is back. Um, we get to talk about a meaningful game here for the first time all season. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a great pod. It's going to be a great pod. But before we get into, I think what everyone wants us to get into, which is the week one primetime season kickoff matchup against the LA Rams. Uh, JJ, what were some of your, uh, some of your thoughts and some of your takeaways as the Bills finished out what was a pretty strong preseason? Uh, I think we saw some surprises. We saw a uh, somewhat meaningless win streak come to an end with the Bills' final loss to the Panthers. That marked their first preseason loss, and I want to say it's just over four years. Um, But outside of some of those quirky things, what did you think of the Bills' preseason overall? Well, uh, I I think that the only thing you really need to take away from the preseason is that um, teams who are well-coached and have a deep roster tend to do just fine against, you know, when their backups are playing. Uh, And the Panthers game seemed like a little bit of an outlier in that regard. It seemed like the Bills players at every stage of that game were one rank below the Panthers players on the field in terms of their roster ability in the NFL. The Bills sat almost everybody. But what you saw with the Colts with no starters playing and with the Broncos certainly with starters playing was what I think is what the, the mark that any Bills fan should note is that this is a team that is handling the transition to Ken Dorsey from Brian Dable pretty well. The offense seems to be clicking when it needs to click, and the defense, which basically had no, you know, none of their premier starters were playing for most of the preseason on defense, looks to be pretty well coached, and I'm, I'm excited to see what the rookie cornerbacks in um, Kair Elam and Christian Benford can do in the season, while at the same time being a little bit worried for them. We know they're going to have some some growing pains, and so... I think the best thing that you know most Bills fans took away is that this is a deep, uh, deep roster, that there are players that were cut and brought back on the practice squad who we feel pretty good about coming up onto the active roster if we need them, and that the Bills' kind of dominance in, in their coaching and, and development of, of lower roster players continues. Um, you know, It's a really good program, and, and it's a really good process, and we trust it. Absolutely. I echo your sentiment about our two uh, really high quality rookie cornerbacks in Elam and Benford. So Benford is, I think, surprised a lot of folks with his physicality because that wasn't necessarily at the book on him coming into the draft. Um, but Benford had the, the long arms, the typical size, the experience in zone that the Bills look for in a DB. I think it's fair to say that Elam, because of his his um, sort of proficiency in press man coverage was a little bit was a little bit um, outside of the box of what the Bills typically look for in a DB. But his long speed, his closing speed, I think were things that being recognized were things that needed in that defensive backfield that they haven't had in a very long time. Um, what I was super surprised by though was how I felt like this competition between Elam and Benford was very close. I think Elam, like a lot of like a lot of rookie DBs, even you know Sauce Gardner and all these other elite uh, DB prospects that came out, they're going to have issues as rookie DBs. That always happens. 
Um, but I was really surprised with how proficient Benford was with his um, ability to switch down into the into the run game because we know how much the Bills rely on their defensive backs to to close out in the run game around the edges, and I really thought this is something that I saw Elam struggle with really throughout the course of the preseason. Again, it, growing pains, and we knew that was going to be the case, but Benford looked really proficient in that area. Um, I could actually see, because I think with White being out for at least the first four games of the season and potentially going all the way up into week eight, based on some of the reports we're hearing out on Buffalo, I, I think we could see a scenario where Benford and Elam are splitting really meaningful snaps Um opposite Dane Jackson, who seems to be who the Bills have locked in to that first outside corner spot. Um, and I'm, I'm a little surprised by that, right? Now the Bills are going to play who they think is the best player, but ultimately, it, do you see it the way I see it in that Benford closed the gap on Elam? Elam didn't really separate himself enough from the, the day three pick in Benford, and I, I could see them splitting meaningful snaps, which if, if you had asked me this on day one of the draft, I would not have predicted. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, and, and I think that people are going to be a little bit surprised by seeing a little bit of a cornerback by committee based on matchups with Kyrie Elam, Christian Benford, and Saron Neal. Um, and that's the part that I think people are going to be like, wait, hold on. If they see Dane Jackson, Taron Johnson in the slot, and, and Saron Neal come out for a series um, because, you know, L.A. wants to do some things a little bit bigger or wants to try to run the ball a little bit more, um, I think that that's going to, you know, maybe rat, rat, rattle some cages and make people believe that the Kyrie Lim, you know, bust Twitter will start popping up everywhere, which I think is just silly. It's already popping up. I yeah. know. It's just stupid. It, it's silly yeah. because I think that, you know, very much like you observed, I agree in that Kyrie Lim was a press man corner in college. His physicality is his hallmark. His getting up on the line and disrupting the release um, is a hallmark. And that's not necessarily the style of play that the Bills have, have had under Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. And so I think his, you know, his learning curve is much steeper than Christian Benford. And that's not to take anything away from Christian Benford. I'm surprised that by how quickly Christian Benford looks to be able to compete at the NFL level coming from, 100%. yeah, coming from, uh, was he D one double A? You know, ranks. Yeah, Villanova. Yeah, Villanova. The FC, FCS. FCS. The the, the <laughs> former ranks of the JMU, who yeah. is now FBS. Finally, yeah, man. Right. So like, he's coming from a lesser collegiate uh, conference, and um, is seems to have stepped up in in situations where he was against you know some of the Colt starters and things like that. Held his own pretty well, and so I'm excited to see what he can develop into. But he had more of an advantage of coming in as a zone reading corner. Um, and Kyrie Elam has, you know, had more of a, a runway because he's so athletically gifted that it might take him a little while to get the mental aspects of the game and how to use the side, the boundary as your friend and squeeze, you know, squeeze routes and know where your help is. There's a lot of that that he's going to have to kind of navigate having not primarily played in, in zone. So I agree with that assessment, and I think that the thing that people might see on Thursday against LA and going forward, especially with like Baltimore and other run heavy teams, the Titans is we might see Dane Jackson um, and Saran Neal or Christian Benford and, and Dane Jackson or something like that to, to really kind of focus in on somebody who's a little bit more of a physical run stuffer on the edge. Yeah, totally agree with you. Absolutely. Um, some other things from the preseason, some quick hits and some other observations. I, uh, you know, I watched all three preseason games, and um, 
our very first preseason outing um, had a lot of concerns about the backup offensive line unit. Now, we haven't played our our number one unit for much time. Spencer Brown still, you know, in and out because of his back injury and whatnot. Uh, Saffold, car accident before training camp, right, on the mend. Looks like he's going to be good to go. I did not see, unlike the defensive line and unlike the depth that we just talked about in that DB room, I didn't see a lot from the back off offensive line unit that tells me if a man goes down there, if a starter goes down, that the Bills have next man up or someone who's going to be able to plug and play to an effective level. Um, I, I know we have been banging our heads against this wall for, for all two years that we've done this pod, now going on season three here. But the offensive line depth, to me, outside of that starting core group, still seems to be a big question mark coming out of preseason. Did you see anything where you think I am uh, over, um, um, underestimating the chances of this line? Or do we just have to pray for 100% health for 17 <laughs> games and a playoff run? So I think... Uh... I think you are underestimating the depth a little bit. And in where oh, I'll okay. where I'll say this <laughs> as a person who watches, you know, offensive line play very closely is that even though not all of the snaps were super clean, I think Questenberry, David Questenberry, he's been a starting right tackle and guard in this league. I think he's got a lot to offer as as a def- defense or a, a backup depth across the line, every position except for center. Um, and he's got that versatility. I think he's probably going to fill in as capably or more capably than Ike Butker. And you have to remember that Ike Butker is probably going to be back this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a, you know, he's he's on pup just like Trey White. He's he's not going to be able to um, contribute for a while, uh, but he will likely be back. And then I think they're going to be pretty good with depth. Um, Spencer Brown again didn't have too many snaps. Uh, they re-signed Ryan Bates. Roger Saffold was a really nice pickup. Tommy Doyle's in year two and didn't look terrible in the um, in the preseason. I'm with you. I, I would have really liked to see like a first three rounds guard or center um, to really kind of fill out the middle of the line with somebody who's a hot you know high investment of a pick or or a, a contract. But I, I do think it's better than last year. I'm less worried about the depth this year than last. And I do think that there's, you know, um, is it Alec Anderson, the guy from UCLA that's on the practice yeah. squad? I think he he had some little flashes in the preseason of, of showing okay, um, and so might need some seasoning in order to be reliable depth, but, you know, has has the traits that we're looking for. Yeah. You, you've uh, you've kind of talked me off the ledge just a little bit, right? I mean, I really I'm I'm curious to see how this this our first unit offensive line is going to hold up against real NFL action, yes. and we're going to see that on yeah. Thursday against a, a really formidable opponent, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But I, I you know, it, you're the film guy, and and I always trust your eyes and what you're seeing on the field, right? But some of the advanced analytics that are coming out of PFF and coming out of Football Outsiders, it, it tells me that, and granted, this is relative to other teams, right? Mm-hmm. But on what is supposed to be the deepest roster in the league, which I don't think a lot of people would dispute, even us at this point, uh, that off, that offensive line room still lags behind where some of the elite teams are. Like, do I think we can hold up against Miami and New England and the Jets? Yes. And McDermott says at the beginning of the season... That's the goal. 
win your division, and then try to host some home games for the postseason yep. and make it to the final game, final game in the Super Bowl at the end of the year, right? I get that that is the philosophy. But we've seen enough out of this Bills squad over the past two years to know that eventually, knock on wood, as long as health stays where it's at, um, or as long as we can continue to dominate in the division as we have for the past couple of years, we know eventually we've got to compare ourselves to some of those elite squads. And when you look at the teams that I think have a reasonable shot at the Super Bowl, they have far fewer question marks in the offensive line than we do, right? That's Kansas City. Yep. At Green Bay, although it'll be interesting to see what happens with Bakhtiari this season, right? Um, given where he's progressed with his injury recovery and stuff. But when I look at all of the contenders, to me, the online unit for the Bills and the depth is still the weakest out of that group. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you on that at all. I think that that's an area that um, I I do believe the Bills front office gambles with the depth on the offensive line and the skill on the offensive line and the investment there because they have QBJA17, who's probably the slipperiest sack in the league in terms of getting him on the ground. And so I think that they take for, they take for granted that every piece of pressure is not necessarily going to be a dead play. Um and they're, they're playing a little bit fast and loose there. It's not like when you have, you know, I mean, Rodgers at this point in his career, um, some of the others you mentioned, they have, you know, statues back there. They don't have somebody who's dynamic and is gonna is, is sometimes more dangerous when he gets pressure initially than if he's just standing in a clean pocket. Um, and so, yeah, they, they play fast and loose, but I, I think the depth is enough. Um, I think it's enough to get them the whole way. Uh, with some of the other components we, we're, we're going to talk about. And especially since the the biggest thing I'm taking from this line is I'm no longer worried about it being a mismatch of various body types and skills. I'll it, give you that. It yeah. is much, much more a unified concept of offensive line. Even if all the players across the board are not top-tier starters, they're all at least the same kind of starter, right? Like they are quality yep. enough to be a starter and they're the same body type and athleticism type to do a much more effective zone blocking scheme and the pin and pull concepts that have been the best plays that the Bills have run in the run game for three years now. And so I don't think that Ken Dorsey's gonna give up any of those concepts that he saw success with under Dorsey last or under Dable last year. And I do think he's gonna lean into those things that he knows he does best. And if you're watching preseason Singletary, uh, Cooks, even Moss was breaking off giant chunk runs anytime they were kind of developed. And it made, you know, uh, Raheem Blackshear the darling of Bill's Mafia Twitter. <laughs> That's who, right. Who's clearly not a starting 53 caliber talent in the league, or somebody would have signed him. He's back on the practice squad. Um, but they were doing enough with backup offensive linemen because the scheme, the, the scheme was good enough, that the scheme has a, a nice constant you know focus hunter i you know and, and i definitely give you that for sure and you know before cody ford was traded to arizona for a fifth round pick the athletic had actually done a really nice write-up on what his preseason had been up to this point because ford was fine like finally flashing and mm -hmm. i don't think he was ever going to find a home on this roster i think the trade ultimately was a good thing for him and for us to get you know a day three pick back in return yep. but um but even ford was was saying you know as you're reading through the interview i think it was a uh, tim graham uh had wrote that article up um you know ford would smile when they talked about scheme because under cromer and under dorsey 
it feels like they finally do have a run scheme. And this is something that you and I, I, I mean, Dable, like we've said it a thousand times, never buy a drink in Buffalo, right? Yeah. Like someone will always buy that dude a beer whenever he's in town, but for everything he's done for the team. But he had this multiples type of run scheme that didn't allow guys to find their fits on the offensive line. You had Bobby Johnson, who I think was a different kind of coach from Aaron Cromer with the way he schemed up guys. And you just see the the simplicity and scheme, the alignment of talent, but then Cromer's ability to unlock the talent for the scheme that Dorsey has designed. Everybody up and down the roster that you've watched pre, uh, preseason interviews with on that O-line says how much more unified things really do feel in that room and along that unit. So you hope, and you've talked about this a thousand times on this pod, chem- health matters, yes. So does chemistry, so does scheme, so does coaching on the offensive line, It would just as much as any other position. It seems like that unit, despite the patchwork and free agency and draft that is, has come to, to assemble those guys, it seems like they've got chemistry and they're all behind the scheme that Dorsey and Cromer are running. Well, and I think, I guess maybe that's it too, is like, I don't disagree with you that they didn't do a whole lot to help their team other than, you know, um, other than getting, uh, you know, Roger Saffold in the mix and, and signing back Ryan Bates, right? Like they didn't really add a whole ton of talent, but they mm-hmm. picked up some key pieces and more stability and consistency. But the biggest, the biggest, and we talked about this before in the off season, um, just kind of on our chats, um, the biggest thing that they may have added to that offensive line room is is coaching. You know, I, absolutely. I, I think that that's going to make the biggest difference. So for me, the thing I trust the most might be that they added Aaron Cromer to the mix. The Bills, during uh, Aaron Cromer's last stint with the team as their offensive line coach, got the rushing title with LaShawn McCoy and almost no other threats in the room. They had nobody at QB really threatening anybody at that time. Um, you know, Nate Peterman wasn't exactly lightning on fire. But they were able to, you know, really have a capable rush game with a mismatch of, you know, five starters just because of Aaron Cromer's scheme. So I'm, I'm really hopeful and, and maybe bullishly so that Cromer's going to be the biggest difference, even if they don't have top-tier talent all the way across and to the second line. So, JJ, before we move on to breaking down the 53-man roster for the Bills and getting to our game preview, any other uh, preseason standouts catch your eye? I really liked Khalil Shakir. Um, on my end of things, I thought he—I think he adds a nice element to the wide receiver room, where you can use him in multiple different looks, slot. He played a little bit on the outside and seemed to find a way to catch the ball no matter who is throwing it to him. There's always the question of chemistry, and he hasn't had a chance to develop a lot of chemistry with with JA17 yet. But the talent seems to be there. And again, another late draft, what looks like hit for Brandon Bean. Um, anybody, anybody else stand out to you this preseason? Yeah, I've got, a, I've got a couple of notes. I think that um, on the offensive side of the ball, I agree with you. I'm very excited about Khalil Shakir and whether or not he could be the dual punt returner, kick returner for this team. He seemed very dependable in punt returning situations of making sure that that ball was transitioning back to Josh Allen. That's what's most important for me. Um, yep. And so, but I also very much like on offense, uh, Quentin Morris, I think, is coming into his own. looked way more polished than he did last year and i agree and was doing some of those like snaps that reggie gilliam does in a fullback position in a tight 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 end and then in a split out tight end role and he's a converted wide receiver from college so i think that he maybe offers a little bit more in the red zone than than we might have been hoping for he largely is the reason that oj howard even with 
a few million dollars in dead cap um, was was sent walking because Quentin Morris just outplayed him every snap. And so I was really impressed with that. I think that James Cook um, is as advertised. I, I was somewhat surprised with his contact balance and his ability to make people miss in tight quarters. I think that coming out of college, I was like, yeah, all right. So he's kind of a scat back, pass catching back. But he did some things with some hard running that I was impressed with. So I'm looking forward to both of them. And I wonder about James Cook being you know, having some of his ability hidden a little bit because they were not using him. Ken Dorsey was not deploying him in the ways that I think he's most dangerous, and that might have been intentional. Agreed. Oh, yeah. totally agree. Um, Zach Moss also popped this preseason, too, as we stand running back room, but uh, Bill's Twitter is a, is a flutter with rumors that um, Moss might get traded here at some point during the course of the season. Hey, I see you shaking your head, right? Yeah. Uh, what do you see playing out for Moss? Because right now it looks like the running back room is fairly crowded. Yeah, it's crowded. I'm shaking my head because I don't think they're going to trade Zach Moss, who, still ha- who they have shown again and again they like, even when he's been like, you know, largely ineffective in some of the snaps they've given him, they still stick him back out there. I think there's something they really love about this kid. And so I believe that Zach Moss might outlive the roster beyond Devin Singletary. If James Cook pops off and Singletary also has a very good year, it might be Zach Moss's backfield to lead next year. Um, Because I don't know that the Bills, I don't know that Brandon Bean is going to be the type of person who's involved in paying big time second second you know contract for a running back when they know that they've used a mid, you know second or third round pick every year that he's been there to get a new running back and keep the room fresh. So I don't know man, I I, I could I could see it because that's always been a, a hallmark of Brandon Bean in the front office since he's been here is taking, you know, areas of strength and using it to gain more capital in the draft. He loves his picks. So, but I, I don't know if it'd be Moss or Singletary. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, and so much of this is true in the trade market. Like, so much of it would be the de- the dependent on the team that yes. is asking for one of the two, right? Um, I, you know, I actually think with the way Singletary finished at the end of last year, I actually think Singletary probably has the most value on the trade market right now, potentially over Moss. But Singletary and Cook to me feels like a better one-two punch than yeah. Cook and Moss does, yep. right? And, and because Singletary has had the lion's share of those starting snaps over the course of the past couple of seasons where Moss hasn't, I'm not going to say Singletary is a mentor for Cook, but having having someone who, with a veteran presence in Singletary that knows what it's like to start meaningful playoff games, meaningful regular season games, spelling Cook, I think means a lot more to Cook's overall effectiveness and growth arc than learning from someone like Zach Moss, who he himself has been played in and out of a variety yeah. of roles with the Bills. So, and and I think Moss's, you know, I think Moss's skill set, right? Like that that bowling ball of knives rolling downhill, right? Like make guys make paycheck decisions when they're going to hit me type of stuff. Yeah. I actually think I actually think of it's a, you know, Baltimore Ravens team who they still look pretty banged up at this point in the uh, heading into the season. Um, if it's a uh, San Francisco 49ers, I could see a team like that being interested in Zach Moss enough to to maybe part with a not a great pick, but I think something that could prime away from the Bills. So I think a lot of it's going to be team dependent. Yeah. Me personally, if we go that route, because there's only going to be so many snaps to take, I like the Singletary Cook pairing a lot more than the Moss Cook pairing. And you know, Cook's not going anywhere, yeah. not going to win unless he gets hurt. 
unless he gets hurt right now. So yeah. Well, so I, yeah, it, yeah, I could yeah, I go mean, ahead. Go yeah, ahead. The what I'll say is that it it's only gonna anything is gonna happen with those front two and Singletary and Moss. It, it's only gonna happen if James Cook forces the issue. He's gonna have to demand more touches for them to ever consider moving either Singletary or Moss while they're still in the rookie deals. Um, otherwise, I think they might just let Cook cook, you know, behind and <laughs> develop some more. Well said. So he has that, you know. Yeah, nice First gold, point of the season. Gold, golden way brown to, crust. Way, way to bag ready, it. Ready to come out the <laughs> oven next year. Yeah, so um, unless he forces the issue, I think they're both, you know, all three probably are remaining on the off, on the uh, roster with one of them being a game time inactive in every week. Yeah, and, and so much of this will be health dependent as yeah. well, right? Yeah, seeing who stays healthy because, it, you know, Singletary or Cook goes down, you're going to want a Zach Moss in that reserve role, I think, for sure. So so probably still too early to tell what's going to happen here. But, you know, JJ, we've broken down the, the running back room a little bit already. I think that's a wonderful segue to hit the final 53-man roster for the Bills as they head into Thursday's game against the Los Angeles Rams. What do you say? You want to break down the rooms? Absolutely, yeah. Let's go position by position. All right. So let's start with quarterback. Some folks, yeah. some folks were surprised. I mean, no one, no one's surprised that Josh Allen is QB one, right? Some folks were surprised that Case Keenum got the nod over Matt, Matt Barkley. I, I wasn't at no. all. I thought his game one performance was he was in, in the preseason that everybody points to as we needed Matty Barkley in that game. Um, it, it was his first game in a new system with a new offensive coordinator. He wasn't playing with any of the ones, yeah. including along that offensive line. His accuracy, I think, dramatically improved over the course of the preseason. And the reality is, like, they, they traded for Case Keenum. Yeah. So he was, and you said it yourself, Bean loves hanging on to that a lot of capital as much as he can. They traded for Keenum. It, Keenum was always going to be the guy unless he was just atrocious. Yep. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. not surprised about Keenum at all. No. Um, your thoughts on the QB room? Um, just that, you know, again, I'm, I'm so happy looking out here across the the landscape of, of the NFL and knowing that our guy is one of the top three at worst top five QBs in the league and that he's under contract for a very long time and looks like he's putting in all the work to continue and is a darling to the media, to the fans. Um, people just lauded him during training camp with how late he would stay out there signing autographs for kids and stuff like that. So Case, Case Keenum's going to be on the roster. Of course, they invested something in him and he's a better player than Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley looked good because Matt Barkley was playing against threes and fours with threes and fours in a system that he knows very well. Case Keenum was playing oftentimes against ones or twos with threes or fours in a system he's brand new to. So it's going to take him a couple of weeks to a couple more weeks probably to get way up to speed. But remember that Case Keenum is the somebody who has won playoff games in this league. Uh, Matt Barkley has barely won regular season games, and I think Matt Barkley is a lovely person and a good. QB to have in the room um, to talk about strategy and those sorts of things with Josh Allen, and he's you know was a mentor early in Josh Allen's career. I, I love that he's still with the team or back with the team, but Case Keenum is the guy you want on game day who can get you out with a couple of wins if Josh Allen needed to be out for a few weeks. So no surprises. I was never in that. I mean, he looked really bad in the first week, but in the terrible. second yeah. in the second week of the preseason when he was playing with ones. He had like two series. I think he scored on both of them, and then he he was off the field. And like that's that's what I was really expecting to play. You know, Case Keenum is going to be playing with the best line, with the best targets, if he has to replace Josh Allen. So I'm not worried about that at all. Yeah, I'm not worried about that at all. And we, and at that point, we needed that 
it, we needed a high floor at our backup in the event in the event Ellen does go down. Yep. Um, and with Case Keenum, probably the highest floor out of a lot of backup QBs uh, in the league because, like you said, he's played meaningfully in the postseason. He's won some big games. Uh, we know he's already got chemistry with Diggs yep. <laughs> right that's from all, their history that's together. That's probably the most important reason he's going to stick around. <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely, 110%, right? So, so no, Keenum, very capable backup that the, that the Bills, I think, wisely chose over Matt Barkley. Finish off the running back room here real quick. So James Cook, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, we've already talked about. Uh, Reggie Gilliam slotted in into the running back room as the fullback. And then uh, special teams maven Taiwan Jones. Anything else you want to add about the running back room, JJ, before I move on? No, I think that, you know, I already mentioned Raheem Blackshear. I think he's got potential to, depending on how he looks in special teams and practice and those sorts of things, he's the kind of player that you might expect to step up into that Taiwan Jones role once Taiwan Jones, I mean, Taiwan Jones is a veteran with many, many years under his belt. They're going to need mm-hmm. that fourth running back who's their, like, you know, lock rock solid gunner in, in all four phases of special teams. And so, yep. you know, he, he might be that guy, uh, Raheem Blackshear, that is in future seasons. But for now, you know, anyone who's like, well, Taiwan Jones isn't even a running back. Exactly. This, this coaching staff loves to make sure that the third, one third of the entire game is special teams. They like to th- make sure that their special teams aren't ever going to cost them a game. And that means investing in Taiwan Jones, Jake Kumaro, you know, Tyler Matikavich, these players that you never see on their kind of respective units, but are out there for every every single special team snap. Yep, absolutely. 100% agree. 100% agree. All right, moving on to the wide receiver room. Um, I was a, a little bit surprised at, at how it ended up shaking out here in a couple of regards. Uh, Jamison Crowder, who, again, didn't have a great first preseason game and already Bills fans were like, are we are we gonna cut him? Like, is he gone? Like, was it a, was it a waste of a signing? I think Crowder was always gonna have a spot on the fifty three man just because the versatility and the slot he brings. Gabe Davis, Stefan Diggs, no surprises there. Isaiah McKenzie, no surprises there. Khalil Shakir, who you and I have already talked about, is really stepping up. Um, and then we see Jake Kumaro, as you had mentioned, the investment in special teams, and then Marquez Stevenson, um, who's currently injured, right? Uh, were you surprised to see Stevenson get the nod over um, somebody like Isaiah Hodgins, who had had a really good preseason, JJ? Um, yeah, I mean, a little bit. Um, because Mostly just because um, he's... So Marcus Stevenson, he got the 53 nod, but then was immediately placed on IR so they could, you know, exactly. sign a punter. Um, I... I I think they have a lot of hope for him because the thing we haven't seen from Marquez Stevenson is outside wide receiver snaps where he is asked to be the primary deep threat. And that's probably happened, what, four times since he's entered the league and he's mm-hmm. caught one or two balls for 40 average yards? Like, that's that's not bad. Like, I think that they, mm-hmm. they see something there that they're like, okay, we're not ready to cut this guy loose. He's pretty injury prone. I'm guessing that this season, if he doesn't come back healthy and like contribute in some way, either in punt and kick returning or being a deep threat to step in if somebody gets hurt, um, it, it might be the last season for him to stick with the roster. But I do think that they see something there that they're worth, you know, they're worth gambling a roster spot on him, especially because he actually has more starting snaps on offense and special teams in the NFL than Isaiah Hodgins. I think that they're trusting that the rest of the league's not really looking for Isaiah Hodgins because he's unproven. 
Yeah, I agree. I think they're I think they're playing what I think is a, a reasonable gamble, right? Like a low risk situation with Hodgins, um, that they'll end up being able to sign him back to the practice squad or something like that. But but you know Stevenson, I, I'm concerned, and you never want to you, you never want to crush a guy because they're injured. Like it, these guys are world class athletes; they put their bodies through hell on a regular basis. My only concern with the injuries is more of one of practicality in that for a guy whose game is based almost solely on speed, he's had a lot of lower body injuries yeah, before injuries he's really taken <laughs> yeah, yeah, before he's taken any meaningful snaps, right? So it, depending, you're right, on how he heals up and what his resilience looks like coming back from, from uh, injury this season, it, the story's not written on Stevenson yet. But then again, the Bills spent, what, like a six-round pick on him yep. out of the University of Houston a couple of years ago. So, you know, at the very least, I, and I, we're literally arguing about the seventh out of seven guy <laughs> in the wide receiver yeah. room. That's how deep, yep. that's how stacked this team is, right? But it'll be interesting to see because he does bring them a, a balanced element but even if healthy, save for special teams, with Shakir might already be taking some of those snaps. It, it, it to me, Stevenson brings less to the table than Shakir did. Yeah. Um. And I I get they value special teams a lot, but Hodgins felt like he had had a really dynamic preseason, and yes, couldn't necessarily have helped right away in special teams, uh, because we know the the Bills value uh that phase of the game, but I really think could have been a more immediate contributor on the offense should he need to take snaps than Stevenson can. So again, it's the seventh wide receiver on a really stacked team. Uh, Injuries are going to play a role, but Stevenson Hodgins, that seventh wide receiver might never see the field this year. So ultimately it could be a moot point. And also for, for the people, I feel like we just start talking bottom of the roster stuff because that's where there's movement. Let's just rehash the fact that they have Gabe Davis, who's who has an NFL record for touchdown receptions in a single playoff game. Uh, mm-hmm. in the game against the KC last year. Um, they've got Stefan Diggs, who is year over year one of the top five wide receivers in the league. And then they have Isaiah McKenzie, who's this scrappy fan favorite who had Thanksgiving dinner with a fan last year and who basically grabbed the slot receiver role after Cole Beasley's departure and never let go. He was not, yeah. he was not letting anybody take first-team snaps throughout the entire entirety of training camp or preseason and you have to respect that i think he has massive goals for himself to make a real role in the nfl after a number of years in the league um and so just to kind of hammer it home with the wide receiver room i love the team and the depth because then you say oh who's who's behind those top three if khalil shakur who looks like again he catches everything he's a rookie he looks super savvy and super smooth in his roots even as a first year player Jamison Crowder, who um, is proven in the league, and we know what he can do because his run after the catch killed us when he was with the Jets a number of times. And so there's a couple of players there that make the top five formidable. And then Jay Kumaro is a special teams guy. Touchdown Jesus has done his thing in the red zone, you know, here and there throughout the seasons. Um, But the thought that on the, you know, on the back burner, they have Isaiah Hodgins, who also had a very strong camp, in case something happens to be able to pull up I'm not worried about the wide receiver room. I'm more worried about the uh, you know the the line holding up for Josh Allen so he has time to distribute the football. Agreed. Out of all of the rooms that the Bills have, I would say it's the wide receivers and the DB room yeah. uh, that are probably the strongest and deepest at this point. 
Um, so no, I'm I'm definitely with you. Definitely with you. The Bills have. I mean, there is long-term depth there with Diggs, Davis is still under contract, uh, Shakir under contract, and then yeah, you've got a guy like Crowder who comes in as a wily vet to mix things up. Um, I mean, the Bills can run out some formidable four-man sets, five wide sets, and we haven't even talked about our uh, our league leading or league le- uh, league leader f- in tied for touchdown receptions by tight ends last season in Dawson Knox. Awesome. So let's move on to the tight end room here. Yeah. So Dawson Knox, Quentin Morris, Tommy Sweeney. Um, Bills, as we mentioned, take a little bit of a dead cap, dead cap hit by releasing O.J. Howard. Uh, but, J.J., this seems like a... This seems like a very, very interesting tight end room with these three guys. Some pass catching ability with Morris, definitely with Knox. Also some nice physicality, too. We know what Sweeney brings to the table. Uh, but Morris and Knox really elevating their their block games uh, over the pa- uh, Knox over the past couple of seasons and with Morris flashing here in the preseason. Um, what do you see in the tight end room that really piques your interest here? Um, well, I, I'm really excited to see Dawson Knox come back around. I mean, he only needs like 728 yards in a season to be the greatest tight end in Bill's history, basically. So the, the bar is right. not super high for him. There's no, you know, legendary, um, you know, Hall of Famer in that in that room or in the, the history books. Dawson Knox all in front of him to take over, and I really hope that for him. I have a cons- – it's conspiracy theory time. I think that they signed O.J. Howard because they were counting on Dawson Knox – and they wanted a second complementary piece to do two tight end sets for pass catching ability to be able to, you know, very quickly morph from run to pass um, while staying in heavy sets. And I feel like they sort of abandoned that halfway through the, the offseason when they discovered the depth they had in, you know, Isaiah Hodgins' development, Khalil Shakur, Jamison Crowder being able to sign, you know, sign him to the team. I think that they probably were planning to have way more tight end involved in the offense, but then they're like, hold up. We have, you know, a, a much better, you know, uh, outside wide receiver opportunity for us. And it was easy at that point with Quentin Morris outplaying O.J. Howard to just let him walk. Interestingly enough about the tight end room and O.J. Howard, and I know that people are upset, oh, why, why'd you sound? This is the part that frustrates me is the Bills Mafia calling into radio shows and things and being like, you signed O.J. Howard and it was a miss and he's terrible and now you got to pay him $3 million. No, negative. $3 million is the maximum value of that contract. They have to pay a small amount that was a signing bonus. And then whatever he gets on other rosters, they get back. He's already signed to the 53 roster um, with the Saints, I think. Houston Texans. Houston Texans. So he's already signed yep. to the Texans roster. If he makes it the entire season on that roster and earns some of those not likely to be earned incentives that were in his original contract with the Bills, the Correct. Houston Texans pay him that money and the Bills do not. And so they'll That's get correct. money back. That's like what people need to we'll understand. Get a credit towards yeah. the cap. What people right. need we to get understand a credit towards the cap is that um, Brandon Bean knows what the heck he's doing, and no GM in the entire league is ever one hundred percent on every decision they make with a draft pick, a trade, or a free agency signing. These are human beings. It's just like every person out there who works a job. Not every single person you hire is going to work out to be this awesome, you know, contributor to your company. It just doesn't happen that way. They're human beings. And they might be their their first year of the, the job, but then something changes in their life and all of a sudden they're they're crap, right? Like 
that just that's that's real life that's you know people look at sports as if it's madden this isn't madden these are not robots these are human people so eh, rant over i think the te room is good and uh <laughs> i think we've said a lot all we really need to say about the offensive line um i agree uh, switching gears there it's it's deon dawkins at left tackle the stalwart left tackle had a great end of the season they added roger saffold the left guard um, who's a massive upgrade over kind of the revolving door they had there and certainly over Cody Ford. Um, and then Mitch Morse, Ryan Bates, who they let kind of test free agency. Chicago tried to sign him to an offer sheet, and the Bills had to match. So he's now the, in the stable of the line for the next three or four years. And I think that's a good pickup. He really came into his own. Spencer Brown still listed as the starter, even though Questenberry was getting all the first-team snaps because Spencer Brown was working his way back from back surgery. Uh, and then their backups – Tommy Doyle last year was picked right after Spencer Brown. Bobby Hart somehow made this this team, I think because purely the Cromer effect. Somehow Aaron yeah. Cromer made him into a capable backup guard. I don't know. I don't get it. Um, and then Greg Van Roten uh, at center guard backup, and finally David Questenberry. If it, and this is my my kind of posit. If anything happens to Mitch Morris, if he has to miss a game or two. Greg Van Roten is a listed backup center. I think it it's just as likely that they would slide Ryan Bates into the center position because he's also with you cross trained yep. there, and then pull Questenberry, Van Roten, or Bobby Hart up into the guard because I think that it's yep. more critical that the center is is stable than it is that you know one of the guard spots is stable. Yep, hundred percent agree with you on that. Hundred percent agree with you. Um, moving on, for, since you put such a nice finely tied bow around our offensive line discussions um i think it's a great way to transition into the the other side of the trenches for the bills and start talking about the defensive line and, and jj man this unit <laughs> oh, looks I'm so excited really good oh yeah. i mean it might not matter which rookie we have starting opposite of dane jackson come week one because yeah. this this d line man gets after it um, all right, so real quick, let's talk about uh, interior D-line or tackles. We've got Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, Tim Settle. Lots of athleticism, yes. lots of run-stopping beef, and damn, did Ed Oliver look good this preseason in camp. I'm, I'm frightened for every every human person who has to face Ed Oliver this year because I think he's, he's on his fifth-year option right now. Is that right? Correct. So Correct. he's playing for that big bag of cash, and I don't know him personally, but just from the interviews and things like that, I think that's a massive motivator for him. He mm-hmm. wants to be the best, but he also wants to earn like the best. He might light the league on fire. I mean, I've heard people talking about how the the Bills with this front and with their linebackers might you know, challenge the 84 Bears for the sack title in the history books, which was 64, and that's insanity. But mm-hmm. there are more games, and... Um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I'd be happy if they got to fifty five, which I think was the the top last year. The um, Steelers have had it for two years in a row, mostly because of uh, T.J. Watt. Uh, but but this is, I mean, I was actually kind of surprised to see that Ed Oliver's backup is actually Jordan Phillips, not Tim Settle, because I thought right. of Tim Settle more as the three technique penetrating defensive tackle. But the way that coaches see it, Tim Settle's more the one technique, um, you know, middle plugging DT. Uh, playing behind Daquan Jones. Daquan Jones, I mean, geez, he's coming from the Panthers, but he's really coming from the Titans. He played one year with the Panthers um, and most of his career with the Titans and has has a Pro Bowl under his belt, um, is a very excellent gap-stuffing defensive tackle and exactly what Ed Oliver 
and Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds have needed in front of them. Um, I think that Star Latulale is the same kind of player, but Star Latulale was after his prime, and Daquan Jones is, is just in the middle of his prime right now. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And then on the ends, we've got Boogie Basham, A.J. Epineza, Shaq Lawson, Von Miller, Greg Rousseau. No real surprises there. But, again, Basham, real strong preseason yep. in camp. Um, Epineza flashed at certain points as well. Rousseau looks like he's way more comfortable with this defense, which for a guy taken where he was in the draft two years ago, you would expect coming into year two, there would be more comfortability with the scheme. Uh, but Rousseau looked really polished and really comfortable. And I think it, it helps just to have a guy like Von Miller yes. take attention off of you on the other side, for sure. Um, it, I, listen, I have a, I have got, I've got my bourbon bet with you <laughs> and it's, it focuses around this D line. All yeah. right. I, I actually think I'm putting the over under at total team sacks at 49, okay. right? Which the last time the bills, I think were at overall team sacks at 49 was a, a long, long time ago, 2005. right? <laughs> yeah. 2000, like two, yeah. we're, we're talking about the early aughts, right? Yes. So, but 49, I feel like is attainable for this unit, but I'm adding a sweetener to that. I think Ed Oliver leads the team in sacks oh, this year. Double digit sack yeah. season for Ed Oliver. I'm thinking that's what I'm thinking that's what it's going to look like. Okay. I mean, I I just look at a lot of the offensive line combinations yeah. that our division rivals are going to be throwing out there. It, it everyone is protecting on the edges. Yep. It, there there's going to be some nice squishy middles of those offensive lines that Oliver's going to be able to pick apart. It would not shock me given his first step burst, if we see Ed Oliver leading the team in sacks this year, which I know for an interior D-line almost never happens, I think it's going to happen with Oliver this year. I think Von Miller has 11 or more sacks. I'm I'm here for that. I I I will co-sign. I think Von Miller has 11 or more sacks. I don't know about Ed Oliver getting to to 10-plus. I think he'll probably have 8 or 9. I think it. I think the thing that's going to be really special, I think, is that probably multiple people are going to have eight or nine sacks. I like Von Miller to lead the team with eleven or twelve, and then I think that Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, maybe even Terrell Bernard, and Turin Johnson get in there for a few because the one oh, thing that yeah. the Bills do very well is the um, some of the best like schemed up sack production they've gotten has been from like. Trey White coming on an unexpected corner blitz. Oh, Taron yeah. Johnson kind of shooting a gap um, and ha- sending his guy off to be covered by a linebacker. So I-, I feel like if you added the front four, you know, and each of them get eight or nine, that easily gets you close to 40 if you count some some of the uh, CB sacks. And then the, the second line, which we know they rotate with Boogie Basham, Jordan Phillips, Tim Settle, AJ Epineza. I see each of them getting a couple here and there to get to get you up to that number. So I'm, I'm with you. I think that that's realistic. Um, I will uh, I'll sauce it up even more. I think that they hit 50. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. I I mean I would be inclined to take the over as well, yeah. but I mean I would be really happy with a 49 yeah. sack season out okay. of this team just based on what we've seen the past couple so, of years. Dear God. So are you taking under 50 and I'll take over 50? Oh. Or are we betting I, I specific really... player? Like one player gets double digits of sacks. Mm, I I mean I think I, I think I I want to take the over at forty nine and a half because okay. I I do think fifty is I do think fifty is realistic for them, um or at least it should be given the talent they've got here. 
but I think you're going to take Von Miller to lead the team in sacks, yep. and I'm going to I'm going to take Ed Oliver. Okay, we're both we're both over forty nine and a half. But your yep. sack leader's Ed Oliver. Mine's Von Miller. May the best man get bourbon. I still owe you a bottle. Yeah, you do still owe yeah. me a bottle. Yeah, no, I've got a and I've got a little bit of a streak. And I listen. I know what it sounds like taking an interior D lineman to lead a team with all this edge talent in sacks. It, I just think Oliver is set for a really special season this year. I really I do. I will again yeah. with most as with most of our most of our bets, especially the one during the draft that I still you the bottle about. Um, I'm not mad to lose. Like if Ed Oliver gets 15 <laughs> yeah, right. sacks, I'm so happy and like I'll gladly <laughs> send Bourbon your. Way. Yeah, Ed um, Oliver gets 15 sacks for winning the Super Bowl. If he gets 15 <laughs> sacks, he's NFL you know defensive player of the year. But um, yeah, but yeah, I'll gladly pay it. Just like I was glad to pay it when they picked Kyrie Elam first. You know, first overall, I was like, okay, awesome. That's um, that's what I needed. We needed another corner. So we definitely did. <laughs> moving back from the defensive line, which I think we can both agree is going to help the gentleman in the second row. Um, yes, the linebacker room is largely the same as it has been for a few years with a couple of notable differences in, in the backup and kind of depth players in that they have their strong linebacker, Matt Milano, middle linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds, and uh, weak side linebacker, Terrell Bernard. Uh, Terrell Bernard is a third-round talent that we both, after the draft, were like, who? Um, <laughs> but he's shown out that he actually like looks like he knows what he's doing, has, has played reasonably mm-hmm. well, hasn't looked too terribly lost in coverage. Um, and then in the sec- in the backups to those players, behind Matt Milano, they have Balin Spector, who I want to talk about a little bit, um, Terrell Dodson, who's been here for a few years, and then finally Tyler Matikiewicz, who's that, you know, special teams, you know, star, uh, Big Red. And so tell me, Dan, what do you think about this this linebacker room? Do you think that Tremaine Edmonds is in line for a massive contract, contract extension? Do you think he's going to play himself into it, or do you think he's going to walk? You know, it, it is – it's – I. I, I mean, if it were if it were me now, I would have given Edmonds the extension. Yeah. Like that dude is he's just I I understand all of the the Twitter hate around Tremaine. You and me, we have complained at many a points how veteran QBs still put him on ice skates a little bit when he's in the middle of the field on coverage. But that dude is a football player. I mean, he's yeah. a he is a born and bred football player. He's one of the smartest dudes on that team. Yes. Um, and I don't think people have an appreciation for what he brings in the way of recognizing opposing team schemes, helping the defense to make adjustments. And it, listen, middle linebackers asked to play coverage like him, they're almost always going to look bad, right? Yeah. I mean, find me a find me a great coverage middle linebacker on any other team and probably Trey is better than they are at this stage in their career, right, based on where he's at. So if it were up to me, Trey would already have an extension. The problem is you can't take these things into a vacuum. At Oliver, also do yes. for an extension. Yeah. And you and I both seem to think he's going to have a monster season that's going to justify a monster payday. If you're the Buffalo Bills, and I think with Bernard and to a lesser extent, extent Spectre. Spectre is just like Bobby Boucher. Yes. I know you want to talk about Spectre. <laughs> that guy's just yeah. like, he, he's like a missile to the ball, right? Yeah. But what, with what Bernard can do in coverage, it, I think they are, I think they're hedging in the event they're not going to be able to bring Edmonds back. Because that dude's going to get paid by somebody. He's a yeah. good football player. I just don't know that they're going to be able to afford to pay both Oliver and Edmonds, and also, by the way, Jordan Poyer is due for a yes. new deal at the end of the season as well. So I think it's going to be too many people, too many people, 
and uh, too many people to retain. And if you ask me who gets who gets jettisoned out of that group, I, I think it's going to be Edmonds just because I see players on the roster that can grow into what he does right now. I don't see that with Oliver. Um, and, you know, Poyer, age aside, one of the best safeties in the league and a big reason why that secondary is what it is. So yep. it I, I think it's probably Edmonds, unfortunately. But that dude can play I know. football, he, man. That dude can play football. If uh, The part that, that I'm going to hate the most is Bill's Twitter, you know, the haters, that Edmonds haters. Um, the part, if he walks because there's not enough money to, to feed everybody, mm-hmm. it's it's going to bother me so much to see them doing victory laps on him being a bad player. And it's just not right. He's a good player. He's not a massive splash player. He's, he's a solid starter. Like that is what I, and I've, I know I've said this on the pod before that people think everybody on the team needs to be a superstar. No team in the league has a superstar at every level at every position. So it's not realistic. A lot of times the best teams in the league have a few superstars and a lot of really solid, dependable, consistent players. That's what Tremaine Mm -hmm. Edmonds is. And he, I know it gets hit on a lot, but he's 24 freaking years old with five years of NFL starting experience. And three of those years, his team was a top five, top 10 defense. Like that's insanity. Like this guy is going to be entering his year 10 in the league season before he's 30. Like that's what and he's the green dot on the field, right? Yeah. He's the QB getting he's, the play yes. calls in from the defensive court. And I think that's what not enough people appreciate and understand about Edmund. When you are, that dude literally is told almost every play, you need to be on an island and you need to cover yeah. this entire middle area right here and get the checks right and get the play yeah. call right and get the adjustments right. Like what that dude is processing and affecting for this defense on a play in play out basis is incredible. And I challenge you to find someone that plays this position that does it as well. Um, it like that in that position that he's in and I'm I'm put I know I'm putting this in overly simplistic terms, right? You're almost set up to fail because there's no way you can stop everything that comes at you in a coverage perspective. But how many times has he bailed out a blown blown run assignment from the defensive oh, yeah. line? Absolutely. How many times have we seen him swoop in with his pterodactyl like arm span <laughs> and just cover up what could have been a 5, 6, 7 yard ground and pound and stop it at the line of scrimmage? That dude's adjustments in game, his on-field awareness, and what he means to that defense from the intelligence that he brings to the, to bear, like, completely underrated and unappreciated. This dude's a football player, and honestly, he's one of my favorite on the team. Yep. And so, kind of moving moving on from, from Maine, um, Terrell Bernard, again, third-round pick, picked to uh, sort of replace that A.J. Klein role. When they need to go heavy, they'll bring him in. He had a solid but not spectacular preseason. And then Balen Spector, who had a spectacular preseason, but largely <laughs> it was because he was always playing against scrubs and fourth and fifth stringers, but just looked mm-hmm. the part, right? He looked like that flyer on the ball, middle linebacker who, like you said, a missile to the football. Mm-hmm. Um, really impressive. Splash plays has an excellent, excellent awareness and instinct about it. And so we'll see how he does. Probably he's going to only be playing – you know, in relief roles, maybe late in games if they're up, or on special teams to start. But I think that that's that's fine. Um, it's perfect. Yeah, man. Andre Smith, who is off the team right now, suspended um, for the first four or six games um, for a PED violation, is also in the mix, um, likely to come back at the expense of somebody. You know, somebody. I'm guessing one of their CBs since they have so many of them right now. Um, 
but there's a yeah that's the, that's the linebacker room. I'm most excited for Milano and Edmonds to finally have a very dangerous and stout front four in front of them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this isn't you know years the past few years ever since um, we lost. Uh, oh geez, what was his name? Kyle Williams? They haven't yep. had a super super steady up front four, and so I'm excited to see what they can do. In fact, if you looked at Tremaine Edmonds' stats, the last year he played with um, with uh, Kyle in front of him was his best year. He had two sacks, he had 12 passes defensed, 121 tackles, which was his career high, 70 of them solo, um, two interceptions. Like that. That's what we're looking for, two forced fumbles. Um, that was Kyle Williams last year. And so I'm excited to see what he could do um, you know, with, again, a front, front four that's really dangerous. Yep, totally agree, man. All right, we are, oh, God, this feels so good to be potting at this level with you and get into the weeds on the 53, man, but we still got a game preview to do. So we've already talked a little bit about the cornerback room here. We've talked about Benford, Elam, Jackson, Taron Johnson, um, best nickel cornerback in the league as far as I'm concerned, Cam Lewis, and Saran Neal. Trey right now is on the pup list, the physically unable to, to perform list. That gives him another month or so. Uh, kind of to, to feel free to recharge right now and, and heal and figure out where he's at. He hasn't been seen to practice. Didn't get any mean. Didn't get any playing time during um, preseason or training camp. Um, really still on the men. JJ, I know Pup gives him four weeks. Yep. Do you see Trey being out for a longer time horizon than just that? I think we'll likely see him week eight, the week after the Bills buy, um, because is that, is that the Green Bay game? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because the Bills have four weeks, he has to be out for four, but he can be out as long as he needs to be out. Once they start, or once they say he's active, they bring him back on the roster, they need to make a roster space for him so somebody gets pushed off the roster when he comes back. When he comes back on the 53-man roster, that starts a clock that ticks away at 21 days. And this is the same for Mm -hmm. Ike Butker on the offensive line. Whenever that player comes back on the roster a timer starts that says 21 days and then he needs to be on an active roster, um, yep. active game day roster before that 21 day practice window expires, or he goes on year, year long, you know, season ending in injured reserve. And so they have to be really careful about that. You don't want to bring him back too fast into the practice, you know, window. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he has a setback his first week at practice. It doesn't recover for two weeks. He, you can't get him on the field in a game situation and boom, he's out for the season. So they want to be really careful and patient, and that stinks because he's arguably our best, if not you know, top three defensive player on the field, um, and we need him back to make a long run. But I think that they're really playing the long game here, and they're focused on, all right, we're going to start the Rooks and get some experience with our second-year Dane Jackson uh, and hope that they can keep it together long enough that we can get Trey back fresh, healthy, ready to go. Um, it's an ACL, so it's going to take probably a year before he feels like himself fully, but they, they want to give him as much time as possible to, to be game ready because this team isn't planning for, you know, an 18 week season. They're, they're planning for a long, long haul into the playoffs. Yep. hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's a wonderful breakdown of how, uh, starting the season on pup works for all the folks listening at home. And normally, when a team says they're going to be down their their top defensive back at the beginning of a season, it would create cause for concern and a little bit of cause for worry. Um, but the Bills have literally 
the best safety duo in the league backing up these guys and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, both of whom who missed time in the preseason. And as a result, we got to see uh, Jaquan Johnson and DeMar Hamlin, from my perspective, really ball out in that safety role. Those are two young, hungry guys, clearly starting caliber players. You and I both love the Hamlin pick when they made it last year. And then Jaquan Johnson regularly has his praises sung by this Bills coaching staff um, on a consistent basis year in and year out. This is a dude who's also looking for a payday as well and really slots in nicely to that Poyer position at safety should they not the team not be able to work out a longer-term deal with him. Uh, so, JJ, anything in the safety room you want to draw our fans' attention to before we move on to kicker and punter? <laughs> yeah, sure. Before we move on to the real meat of this pod, which is the specialists. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so, <laughs> the specialists. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's I, what we're here for. <laughs> we had, you know, Taron Johnson got the got the extended deal. So in the, in the slot, I think that they're good and set. I think that Dane Jackson proved enough to this team throughout training camp and certainly last year. He had his ups and downs, but he was a rookie uh, seventh round pick or undrafted. I don't recall if he was drafted or not. He was he was undrafted. I think, he was undrafted. Yeah. yeah. So, if at all, he was a late round investment and still showed up as a starting caliber, somewhat inconsistent, you know, cornerback. And they've been pleased with him all offseason because he did not start very much at all. I think he played the first series and the second preseason game, but that was it. Um, mm-hmm. And so. I'm excited to see Kyrie Lim and Christian Benford come out. I'm excited to see Saran Neal take a little bit of a step forward. I think that they've given Saran Neal the the out of no longer playing in that safety position. Um, and so they're trying to focus him a little bit more on outside corner. And then Cam Lewis in the slot has been dependable um, as a fill-in temporarily as, as he's had to. Um, I'm, I'm a little worried about the cornerback position, to be honest, but I think that it's a good time. You know, for them to to step forward and try to get some young talent in there, and I actually think that Jordan Poyer is probably going to ask more money than they're willing to give. But mm-hmm. I think Jaquan Johnson would gladly take half of whatever Jordan Poyer is asking for to be a starting starting safety on this team for the next four or five years. Um, and I think that it might be his time to step up. And it's smart, you know, it's smart management of your skill positions to uh, to move Jaquan Johnson up while Micah Hyde is still here, even though Micah Hyde's getting a little bit more veteran in his time. Um, and then again, Demar Hamlin, I think he and Jaquan Johnson played both safety positions throughout the entirety of training camp and and the preseason and looked really strong. And so I it think that very good. Well, and and I, I know that a lot of people share this sentiment, but with you know uh, Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. You could literally slap a jersey on a scarecrow, and they'd be able to coach that thing up to be a, an excellent midfield, you know, safety. And that's not to take away from Jordan Poyer and Mike Hyde. I think those were excellent picks. But part of the reason they were excellent picks is that um, Frazier and McDermott have such an excellent eye for talent and traits, and then the ability to coach those talent and traits into performance when it comes to the safety position, that's their specialization. Jordan Poyer was an afterthought special teams only player with Cleveland. Micah Hyde was a third or fourth safety on the depth chart with Green Bay. And they came in and are the best, the best safety duo in the entire league. Um, and I think it's because of them, you know, and the work they put in, but it's also because of the expectation and standards that were set by the Buffalo Bills coaching staff in that defensive backfield. So I am not at all worried about the you know, the, the safety depth, I do think Poirier might leave after this year, especially if they, you know, get all the way and win a Super Bowl. That dude's going to cash in so big. 
hundred percent, hundred percent, man. Um, all right, let's wrap it up here before we get into the Rams game by talking specialists. So, the Buffalo Bills did sign a punter after releasing Matt Ariza. Uh, they've sa- signed veteran Sam Martin to the team, who will be taking over full-time punt duties. And then, of course, we return Reed Ferguson as our long snapper and Tyler Bass, Mr. Automatic, as far as I'm concerned, um, kicking-wise. Um it, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk about the Ariza situation, JJ, but I do think it, it's it bears it, it does bear some discussion, right? Yeah. So, um Matt Ariza, for the, those folks who are unaware, accused of a, a pretty horrific crime, the game gang rape of a seventeen year old high school student, uh, when he was at uh San Diego State University. Yep. Right. Um his his attorney, his legal team has disputed the claims that came out in public. Um, that is that is a case that's going to work its way through the criminal and the civil courts. What we know about what the bills knew about the situation is that they were con. None of this showed up in, as far as we know, in the pre-draft breakdown and pre-draft profile for Ariza. But the Buffalo Bills um, general counsel was made aware of these claims by the attorney for the young woman accusing Ariza of these crimes in July. The Buffalo Bills, to whatever whatever extent they were able to, said they conducted their own, I'm using air quotes, internal investigation, obviously felt good enough about what they knew at the time about Ariza and these claims to keep him on the roster and jettison Matt Hawk um, and, and, pin, and uh, tab Ariza as the starting punter for the team. Then the claims went went public, and in under 48 hours, uh, Buffalo Bills released Ariza uh, for what they called uh, the the need to to do to tend to the culture on the team. That it's not just about winning games, right? Um, and you know, I, I think the Buffalo Bills, especially in comparison to how the Cleveland Browns and Houston Texans handled their scandal around sexual assault in a player with Deshaun Watson, I think the Buffalo Bills and the court of public opinion have definitely done themselves well and, and earned some lauding for how they handled the situation by jet, jettisoning an Ariza um, as quickly as they did. I, I have questions about what they knew in July and what their own internal investigation resulted in. You know, um, And I don't know that we're ever going to know the full facts of that, but you could tell that after these claims went public, McDermott had a really hard time talking about it and he alluded to the fact that obviously the team had more to discover. Does that is that is that them saying that they don't think Ariza was fully forthcoming about the claims with them? Did his story change over the course of their investigation to public release? I don't know that we're ever going to know. But the reality is, is that the Buffalo Bills were made aware of these claims. They did not reach out to the victim or her attorney, um, and they felt good enough before this went public to keep Ariza on the roster. I do think it's fair to criticize the team at this point for for doing what was right, which was releasing Ariza, but it does seem like they kowtowed a little bit to public pressure here, which I think they absolutely needed to. I would have I, I this is going to be very hard I think as the season goes on and we get further away from it to keep in the mainstream news mm-hmm. around this team. Um but I do think as being said, culture matters around these things. And I am not quite sure that the Buffalo Bills handled this particular situation in a way that sits well with me as a fan. Does that make sense? Like they got yeah. to the right, they got to the right place. Yeah. 
I really do question the process of how they got there, though. So for me, it feels like this was an exam. The, you know, we, we both work in higher education, right? This was a mm-hmm. test. This whole situation was a test. And the Buffalo Bills' response to this exam was to grab a preparatory notes from somebody else, in this case the public, at the zero hour, cram, and then just barely pass. Like, that is what I believe this all was. Because the correct mm-hmm. answer was, you get the allegations back in July, you you do your own investigation and be thorough about it, instead of what, and we don't know this, all right? We're, we're not on the inside. We have no idea about this. But it smacks of the kind of thing where they get this claim in July, they call Areza or Areza's agent, and they're like, hey, what's this all about? And there's also some stuff out there that Areza probably lied to his agent about what this was all about, too. So, like if they didn't do their diligence and talk to the victim or the victim's attorney and they literally just brought a raise in and said, Hey, we, we heard this. What does this mean? And you go, Oh, it's nothing. And they believed him. That is the whole problem of this culture in not just sports, but Correct. in general, right? The old boys club of just believe, you know, discrediting and devaluing the woman's voice and perspective and just pretend, you know, like basically chalking it up to some kind of, you know, weak money grab um, and in some of the comments that Bean was making after the fact, it largely, it seemed like he was responding to some of the questions that the, the people who cover the Bills beat were asking in a way that's, that indicated that this is not uncommon for them to get these sort of things to hit their legal office. And that's upsetting, right? Like that they like chalk mm-hmm. this up as just another situation where somebody was accusing one of their players of something awful. And then this one, and that's why they made the roster decisions they did. And then all of a sudden it came out that this was truly awful and most likely mm-hmm. did happen the way that the victim is claiming. And there's a lot more to it. And then, again, with the cheating off of the public perception, we're like, oh, uh, this is the right thing to do. And scrambled to do mm-hmm. the right thing. I will say, you know, depending on what happens to Ariza civilly, criminally, I think he should get punished in whatever ways this, you know... Um, he can possibly be punished if some of the you know things are the way that they sound they are, um, because you know I I, ha- I give no quarter to to the people who would be sexually aggressive like that. It's disgusting, um, but you know the Bills did something that you know teams like the Browns and others haven't done right. Like the Ravens, mm-hmm. there's teams that kept players on their roster who had done awful heinous things because it was a he oh it's he said she said or whatever it might be. And so I give them credit for doing the right thing. I just think that, like you, it was mishandled and done too late in the game to be a meaningful and, you know, to make a statement about what is right and what they value. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think this this exposed issues that we know exist in the league around handling these things, but also some issues within the organization and team that it comes to handling these things, yep. too. Every single team has general counsel. But much like the field of medicine, there are specialists in the legal arena that your general counsel can farm some of these things out to, right? And sexual violence, um, crimes of sexual violence, violations of Title IX, not every general counsel is equipped or, or, or trained to handle those interviews and those outreach in a way that can really find fact in investigations that don't require subpoenas and things like that. Um, it, it sounds like these complaints come in, 
the general counsel does what any general counsel for any profit-making organization will do, which is what's the exposure to the organization first and foremost. That's what the general counsel is there for. And my guess is the general counsel went to Bean and said, this happened before he was with the team. He's not going to be subject to player discipline in the NFL. We can conduct our own investigation, but there's no exposure for the organization, right? It was only when it went public that the Buffalo Bills were like, oh, we have a PR thing that we need to mitigate here, mm -hmm. um, which to me feels like cold comfort to the human beings involved in this particular case. And I think what I would look for out of teams that have power and agency, you know what I mean? Yes, this, hap this happened technically before Ariza was a player with your organization, but given the power, the notoriety, uh, the public-facing nonprofit work that all these teams do, they do have to hold themselves to a higher standard of managing these things outside of just what is the legal blowback on us. And that's where teams, I think, would do well to supplement their, their general counsels with a team of civil rights investigators, bias-related investigators. There's companies that farm that out. You can hire these individuals to come in and find fact in a situation like this. But, but I think ultimately, for what was, uh, I, I think ultimately, it, it's a tragic situation that it sounds like Ariza brought on, on himself. Um, I mean, my heart goes out to the victim in this mm -hmm. particular case. And I, I just think the Buffalo Bills is an organization. This is the first time in the Bean era where I'm like, it, it, everybody involved deserves better than how they handled it. Yeah, I'd agree. This is this is the first time I've seen, you know, seen something come through that I was like, that that's not okay. <laughs> like, that they're yeah. doing something wrong here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got a lot of work to do, I think, in this area. So flip-flopping from what is, there's no great way to transition no. into and out of something like that. But I appreciate you being here for the conversation, man. I really do, because it's something I've wanted to talk about with you for a while. I do think it is time, as I watch the clock winding down here on our studio session, uh, to talk about the game that we have upcoming against the Rams on Thursday, three short days away, JJ. Yep. So some quick some quick hits it looks like the buffalo bills will be at relative full strength based on injury reports that came out today van jefferson listed for the uh la rams is questionable cam Akers, their starting runner back looks like he's going to be ready to go for thursday and matt stafford battling a nagging elbow injury which everyone from that organization is saying shouldn't affect his ability to throw the ball he's going to wear a protective sleeve around it um, but it looks like the Rams, the defending Super Bowl chance, are coming in at less than full strength on Thursday, JJ. What are some of the key factors in this matchup that you think folks listening at home need to keep in mind? Yeah, so we can start, uh, you know, the, the Super Bowl champs will get the get the uh, nod for their offense versus our defense. Um, they did add to their wide receiver core with Allen Robinson, who I think was, you know, woefully underserved in Chicago for so many years and kind of, you know, and, and has never had a QB of the quality of of Matt Stafford throwing to him. So, you know, good for him that he has that new opportunity. Um, they lost um, Andrew Whitworth. Is that right? At their yeah, tackle position. To retirement. Yep. yep. To retirement. He was, you know, almost my age. That means he's super old. Uh, and so he, he's done in the <laughs> league, um, but replaced him with Joe Noteboom. They got David Edwards over. Um, they have a decent offensive line. Not great, though. You know, I think that they're, the Los Angeles Rams offensive line is probably in the same kind of league as the Bills O-line in that it's decent starters with a couple of bright points. That's what I'd say about mm -hmm. the, their offensive line. And so I think that there's some really good opportunities for the Buffalo Bills, especially if Stafford's not getting the ball out fast 
to see what they can do with this new built, you know, front four in terms of getting pressure. Uh, Matt Stafford has also never been one one to be able to escape, you know, pressure very very well. So um, if he doesn't have time, it's gonna it may be a bad night for him, uh, especially if he's you know battling an injury. So um, their offense, of course, with Cooper Cup um, and Allen Robinson, there are some dangers there to the Bills depleted. Uh, CB ranks and their fresh young CB ranks. So I think that, you know, that's the part that I'm a little bit worried about for the Bills is can, you know, um, can Christian Benford, Taron Johnson, um, and Dean Jackson hold up? Can Kyrie Elam hold up? Um, it's largely going to be Taron Johnson all night against Cooper Cup, which is probably the best we can hope for because he's an excellent slot corner. Yep. Um, but Cooper Cup against the Bills, even after Taron Johnson was in the league, has had over 100 yards, a couple of TDs, nine plus catches, multiple times, or the one time they played. So um, I feel like he's going to get his. It probably will be a little bit of a shootout, much to everyone's celebration. Um, I think that one of the most important things is if the Bills lose this game, they're going to cross country on a Thursday, pressure's high, uh, against Super Bowl champions. That stadium doesn't have a lot of emotion from my you know my my understanding but could for this one right they're gonna hang their banner um mm-hmm. so if the bills drop this game and i'm not predicting that the sky is not falling they're not bad <laughs> it's this right. is a hard road this is a hard road um game and it's an nfc opponent so it, it might not matter in the long run at all um but mm-hmm. i still feel very good for the bills because of one factor and one factor only, and we'll flip kind of, you know, after your comments on their O versus RD, we'll flip to um, that factor, which is the QB situation. I think Josh Allen is a much better QB than Matt Stafford at this point in his career, and I think that the Bills have more weapons. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you. I am not predicting a Bills loss either with this. And, I, you know, I see our defense against their offense. I, I, it's about one thing and one thing only, bringing down Matt Stafford, right? Like, there's only so long you can contain a guy like Cooper Cup in zone. Um, Cup, I think, too, if he does find himself switched off to either one of our very physical rookie DBs, be it Beneford or especially Elam, it, Cup is a superstar and is going to get the benefit a lot of a lot of that contact of the line, contact after five yards, right? Cooper, Cooper Cup is going to be a flag magnet during yes. that game, I think, if he finds himself on any one of our, in either of our rookie DBs. Um, and Dane Jackson, who you and I both, I think, celebrate rightfully for all the fill-in work he did last year, has his limitations in zone as well. There's only so long guys can keep their assignments with the quality of wide receivers, even if Jefferson doesn't play, that um, the Rams have. Because don't forget about Tyler Higby at tight end, right? Yep. So, and Stafford knows how to use all the weapons at his disposal. This is about one thing and one thing only for me, the key on defense you have to bring Stafford down. You have to put pressure in his face. He is athlete- He is more athletically inclined than people give him credit for, but like any veteran pocket passer, hates it when his jersey gets dirty. And yeah. the Bills are going to have to put him in the dirt in order to get any kind of meaningful advantage on that side of the ball. Yep. Agreed. Just that simple for me. Yep. Just that simple for no, me. I, I, so, I agree. So let's talk about... Uh, what will be the the true debut of the Ken Dorsey offense in Buffalo with JA17 at the helm? What are some of the keys you see for our offense against their defense heading into Thursday? So for me, it's really about can we establish some kind of a run game against this front? 
you know, they, they do a 3-4. Um, the Bills play a 4-3 front. And so um, with, you know, the Rams, it's Ashawn Robinson, Greg Gaines, and Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, of course, the reigning uh, defensive uh, MVP of the league. Um, and then they, they have Bobby Wagner, the longtime, you know, Seahawks standout inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, Ernest Jones and then Leonard Floyd who plays outside linebacker and was the kind of rush counterpart to Von Miller while he was there um, they have a lot of talent in the, in the front seven and then when you get in the back it's Jalen Ramsey who said that Josh Allen was trash that one time uh, and then Josh Allen threw a couple touchdowns directly on him and so we hope to Allen's owned Ramsey yes. yeah, yeah. We're we hope that, that that continues we hope that he targets and ruins Ramsey because Jalen Ramsey is only good when he's playing confident once mm-hmm. once he gets rattled, he starts making really, really dumb choices um, because because <laughs> yeah. he gets angry. And so you can make Jalen Ramsey angry if you beat him on a few routes. And so I'm excited for that. Um, I think the goal for the Bills is going to be, it, and this is counterproductive to what you might believe, I think it's actually going to be starting physical and establishing yeah. their run a little bit. If they can start pushing around that front as strong as it is for Los Angeles and establishing the run – that's going to open up play action pass. That's going to, you know, put their linebackers in conflict. And that's going to, you know, hopefully get some things that can go over the top because their safeties are also not nothing to, you know, mm-hmm. nothing to celebrate. Not average, you know, average NFL safeties, no, no superstars back there in the, in the secondary other than Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey. And so I think that that's the opportunity is, um, you know, and why that's counterintuitive is you might think, well, they have a bad secondary, just start lighting them up. They're going to expect that. That's the thing that they're yeah. going to be like, this is the Bills offense. The Bills offense runs through Josh Allen and his arm. We're going to give them as much help as they can. You know, we're going to drop uh, linebackers into like the, the short zones and make sure that nothing can get, get behind us. Um, and so really, if they do that, start running straight at them. That's the goal, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and, you know, despite having some of that front seven talent, and even last season, the Rams defense struggled when it came came to points per game for the first few weeks of last year really it wasn't until the final quarter of last year and the addition of von miller and all that kind of stuff where things gelled for that defense but i mean other than ramsey that secondary is nothing to write home about and that and that defense was able to cover up holes by getting to the opposing qb so um no i'm with you i actually think we're gonna I actually think we're going to see a fair amount of balance. And I know balance sounds like a 50-50, I run once, I do pass here. No, I think we're going to see an effective use of the run game so that opportunities on a play-by-play basis are opened up for the Bills so they can dictate the pace of the game and the personnel packages they're seeing from the opposing team as opposed to the other way around. So, no, I actually fully agree with you. Yeah. Mark my words, Bills Mafia. We can put this up on the whiteboard. Do whatever you, what you want. Write a post-it. Stick it underneath your Bills schedule on your wall. Um, you're going to see screen passes to running backs like James Cook, Devin Singletary, and even Zach Moss, or Dawson Knox, some tight end screen. You're going to see more screens this year, and they're going to work. We have an offensive line who is – most of them are savvy veterans. Most of them are highly athletic and able to move in space. So expect Josh Allen, who's also got the athleticism to drift back in the pocket and kind of pop it over people's heads, to, to be effective in the screen game and see some, some screens happening. And I think that's going to be something that will work against this team in particular because they are so aggressive, aggressive with their pass rush. They're going to try to get into the backfield, and you can simply kind of use that to your advantage to get behind the defense. And so this is you know, week one, September 5th. The Bills are a screen team. I'm declaring it. 
and you know we can we can check that receipt later in the year bold prediction my friend and speaking of bold predictions what is your call for the game uh final score winner loser <sighs> prediction so to to feed because i know a yeah. lot of pressure right yeah. prime time season yeah. opener spread on the game right now bills minus two and a half um so basically this the sharps are putting this as a toss-up slight favors tism to the bills we know that week one is a crazy week um you know and especially with the advent of the 17 game season it in a lot of ways it could be seen as a, a fourth preseason game i don't think that's how either of these teams will walk into this but wonky stuff happens we lost to pittsburgh last year week one and the buffalo bills under mcdermott are a 500 team week one so i say all of that to help you frame where you want to take your prediction so what is your final score jj for bills rams on thursday oh gosh uh i'm thinking it's going to be a 28 to like 17 or 21 bills win 28 to to 17 bills win is what i'm going to say i think it's going to be a little bit that's a little bit on the under because they're expecting it to be like a 53 plus point overall yeah yeah. The over under on over under on points right now is sitting at fifty three exactly. Yeah. So yeah, twenty eight seventeen. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. How about you? I mean, I don't I don't disagree with your take on on the under for points. Although the past couple of seasons, these Thursday night games have been just abject shootouts, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I, they they really do tend to be, and these are two teams with. Trey White being dinged up and the weaknesses in the secondary for LA, you would think would f- lend itself with these two QBs at the helm to to a shootout. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Bills thirty one, Bills thirty one, and Rams twenty eight. Okay. So I, I'm gonna say they hit. Yep. I'm gonna oh, say God. they hit the over. Yeah. I'm gonna say they hit the over. Oh. Um. And it only because and only because week one games are weird man like i have no i have nothing else in my brain that is telling me that you know there's no stat i'm pointing to or anything like that that's telling me it's gonna be 31 28 these are just weird ass shootouts these thursday night games and i think that's what we're gonna get here and i need the bills to get a win in a one score game right off the bat of the season (laughs) to eliminate the bad juju from last year where they went zero and six in one score games I need the Bills to win a close one right off the okay. bat to feel better about my life. That's a very reasonable thing to say, and I, you know, I didn't know that that was this kind of podcast, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I hey man, I I'm, I'm going I'm going all vibes, no nice. stats right now in my predictions. Like That's where it's at. Awesome, dude. All right, well, I am looking forward to seeing how correct we are. Most importantly, I'm looking for football just to get back up and running. And to be talking about the Bills regularly, regularly with again, yeah, regularly again with you, sir. So yeah, and any any parting words for our fans, JJ, before we log off here and get ready for Thursday? Um, I'll say, get your fryer baskets ready, pull out that blue cheese, get the uh, get the celery chopped up, uh, get those tables dusted off, because uh, it's time to get back into football. The to- the long wait between 13 seconds and this Thursday is about at an end. And we get to see our boys go back out there and try to achieve the absolute ultimate goal of bringing home a championship. And it all starts next week, this week, Thursday, in SoFi Stadium in L.A. Go Bills. 
Well said, sir. I am ready for some football. For those of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, what have you. And as always, thanks for listening, and go Bears.